Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano i have said repeatedly one of the great joys of uh, being able to do this for a living is getting to talk with people you have always been a fan of people you've always admired about some of the work they've done that you happen to be admiring of and that has certainly been the case with my conversations with nicholas meyer uh, nicholas meyer is a terrific screenwriter a terrific director a terrific author he's had multiple best-selling novels he's had a lot of blockbuster feature films including star trek 2 and star trek 6 two of my favorites but it just so happens that this month 40 years ago was one of the most notable television events of all time. In fact, this was the most watched TV movie of all time. I was speaking about it yesterday, and when I was talking about it, and I was saying, uh, does anybody know how I can still watch a version of this because I'd like to watch it again, make sure it's fresh in my recollection, I was deluged with not only about 40 or 50 people all giving me instructions of a different way to still watch it, but they all shared with me their recollection of their reaction the first time they saw the day after. It is indeed the 40th anniversary of the day after, not only the most watched TV movie of all time, a record that is likely to stand forever because of the nature of television and viewership these days, but it has unfortunately become more relevant than ever given the fact that there are multiple nuclear powers that are literally and figuratively warring with one another. Very, very pleased uh, to welcome back to the program novelist, screenwriter, director, producer, Nicholas Meyer, whose credits do include The Day After. Mr. Meyer, it's great to talk to you again. <laughs> Thank you. 
I almost didn't recognize myself, but thank you. Uh, let me begin with uh, a non-day-after-related question. I, I uh, had the opportunity, and I think we spoke about this a bit last year, to do a, a series of Q&As with William Shatner after st- a screening of Star Trek II. And as you might imagine, when it's a film that you've directed, your name came up once or twice during our conversation. Um, Shatner claimed that during the making of that film, you took his daughter out on a date wearing a top hat. Can you confirm either the date or the top hat, sir? I had a lot of dates with his daughter, whom I simply adored. Not during any of them do I recall wearing, let alone owning, a top hat. All right. Well, but, you know, I have noticed Shatner does have a tendency and I'm not sure if it's for a comedic effect or to alleviate boredom. He does have a tendency to make things up from time to time. Is that something that you've ever noticed? Let me tell you a related anecdote. Um, everybody who works on Star Trek writes a memoir. And uh, I think. Leonard Nimoy wrote two memoirs. The first one was called I Am Not Spock. And then about 20 years later, he wrote a second one, I Am Spock. Um, And so whenever I was wandering into bookstores, you remember bookstores. And and I I would see one of those Star Trek memoirs. The first thing I would do is go to the index and look up to find out what people, you know, thought of me. And I was bemused to read, I I guess it was in the second Nimoy uh, memoir, that the day we filmed his death scene, he was very, very upset because I showed up uh, dressed as Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) which he thought was mighty insensitive of me. Now, memory is a funny thing, and I don't you know, claim that my memories are perfect, but I can tell you, number one, that I have never dressed as Sherlock Holmes in my life. Uh, no more have I worn a top hat, except maybe as a kid on Halloween. But what his memory sort of was dancing around Um, was the fact that the day we filmed uh, the death of Spock, I was wearing a suit. And the reason I was wearing a suit is that I had opera tickets that night downtown. Mm. And in those days, you dressed when you went to the opera. Now no one cares. Um, So I was wearing a suit on on the day we filmed because... Uh, I knew we would rap and then I would, you know, head off to the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. Um, so that's his memory sort of playing around. And I'm not sure whether Chatner is making up or misremembering. Um, he, he introduced me to his daughter because he figured quite rightly that we would get along like a house on fire. Um, and we did. 
But I did not wear a top hat. Well, and uh, for people that don't know, you not only wrote the Seven uh, Percent Solution, which is a terrific novel and a film uh, that deals with William Shatner. You've written several William Shatner, uh, excuse me, uh, Sherlock Holmes. You've written several Sherlock Holmes novels, including one uh, that may make a uh, a great stocking stuffer called Return of the Pharaoh, which I had the opportunity to read uh, last year, which was uh, quite engaging. Now. Um, it was just a year or so after Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, that you did The Day After. You not only had Star Trek II, which was a big hit, but you had Time After Time, which was a big hit. A lot of people at that time wouldn't consider, after two hit feature films and uh, several novels that did very well, for the, to do a TV movie. A lot of folks kind of viewed TV movies as being a bit of a step down from from features when you at that point in your career when you're sort of at the top of your game as a film director what made you what led you to the decision to do a television movie um i will tell you first of all i have to sort of preface my answer by going to a key point about the nuclear problem it's a paradox and the paradox is that since 1940 we have basically achieved the ability to blow ourselves to bits. This is the, you know, this and climate change are the two most deadly problems that have confronted human beings. And yet, no one can bear to think about nuclear war. So we don't. We we sort of pretend or hope that it doesn't happen. Hope, by the way, is not a strategy. Um, and I was, I believe, the third director offered to direct this movie. Um, so not a lot of people were lining up to do it, obviously, but they worked their way down to me. And I was being psychoanalyzed at the time, which is a very lengthy, expensive uh, and difficult process, but it, it did wonders for me, I, I have to say. Um, but if you could take a pill and bypass it, do that for sure. Um, I was lying on the couch trying to rationalize my way out of doing this movie. And my analyst, who didn't speak, they don't, they don't speak. You do all the heavy lifting mm-hmm. in in an informal psychoanalysis. He surprised me by opening his mouth in the middle of my mumblings and said, well, I guess this is where we find out who you really are. Wow. Checkmate. I, I didn't know how to wriggle off that hook. Um, and that's how I wound up doing the movie. Um, I don't think I was any more eager to think about nuclear war than anybody else. I just, in a way, didn't know how I could live with myself if Hollywood actually gave me the chance to put my work in the service of my beliefs, and I turned it down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how I wound up doing it. 
Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. We're talking with uh, Nicholas Meyer. Uh, His many credits include The Day After, which a lot of people are looking back now in light of the fact that it's the 40th anniversary and the fact that uh, people have raised the prospect that we may be closer than we have in decades to uh, an honest-to-God nuclear conflict. I am curious about the story of uh, the military's role in the production of this. It's not uh, unusual in terms of uh, military cooperation to allow uh, film productions to use equipment, uh, certain types of footage, uh, certain types of aircraft. But then that usually comes with a certain amount of strings over editorial control. I'm curious if you can uh, fill folks in on what your talks were like with the Pentagon on about using equipment and things of that nature. Absolutely. Um, before I answer, and the answer is very short, um, I should tell your listeners that on November 15th, a new book about the making of the day after was just published by uh, Professor David Craig. It's called Apocalypse Television. Um, how the day after helped end the Cold War. I can't remember the subtitle, but it's a pretty good book. It's hmm. it's, it's got some factual errors about the tug of war in the editing room, um, and there are a couple of things. But by and large, it's pretty it's pretty good. Don't and tell me they of, have you in a top hat in that book as well. No, they don't. But he. He caught my humble self-effacing egomania, <laughs> and uh, I was, you know, I kind of winced a few times, but I thought, well, yeah, I suppose that was me. Um, but what did happen, and this is not only related in the book, but also there's a new documentary, if you haven't seen it, about the making of the day after, and the making of the day after, it's called Television Event. Television Event. And uh, I think it's on YouTube. Mm. Uh, and it's a pretty good documentary. And the same story is in the book and the movie. And now I'm telling you that the military offered cooperation. They had one condition. Uh, the, the day after recounts a nuclear exchange between the United States and what was then the Soviet Union. And they wanted to make it clear 
that the Soviet Union started the war. And we told them to take a hike. Uh, we just, we didn't, we didn't use them. Um, because that was contra, the whole point of this movie was we weren't telling a political story. We weren't telling a military story. We were just talking about what would happen to regular people, people like you and me, and suddenly we get incinerated. And that was it. It wasn't about, we're, th- those people are never going to know. We're never going to know who started it. <laughs> right, we're just blown up. It doesn't make make a difference to us if it's the Russians or the United States. Uh, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Uh, you know, when you listen to people describe living through the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, which uh, I, I didn't, but I've had a lot of conversations with m- my father about this, there was a sense that uh, nuclear war really could have been imminent and that uh, during the 13 days of the Cuban Missile Crisis that it could all just end in a matter of of moments. In the 1980s, my recollection was that uh, feelings and fears about the prospect of a nuclear holocaust were much more relaxed, at least compared to the 1960s. In fact, in watching The Day After again yesterday, uh, the character Jason Robards plays and his wife, they're actually talking about how uh, perilous it felt like in the midst of the Cuban Missile Crisis. As far as the feeling when you made this film, when you were making this, was there a feeling on your part, on the part of the other people involved in the film, that this could actually happen? Or was this more approached as science fiction? I have to correct you about one thing by way of an answer. In 1983, we came much closer to nuclear war than at any time since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, This is a long answer, but bear with me. Number one, there have been several nuclear accidents. Mm. I believe in the 1960s, I think it was the Air Force, dropped two nukes on North Carolina. Um, They didn't go off. Um, I think it was in the 1970s, but you can Google this. Anybody can Google it. Google, you know, missile silo, monkey wrench, Arkansas. A workman dropped a monkey wrench down the missile silo in Arkansas. They hit a fuel line and it precipitated what could have been a nuclear explosion that would have wiped half of Arkansas off the map. And then there's the story of Colonel Petrov. I'm not sure if you know about Petrov, but Colonel Petrov was the duty officer in one of those listening posts where You know, when you see NASA control, it's a bunch of guys staring at computer screens. And, you know, in the case of um, nuclear war, they're all hoping that they never see missiles coming at them uh, as detected by satellites or whatever. And and while Petrov was on duty, um, they saw four missiles coming from the United States toward them. And guys in that room were screaming and crying and throwing up, and and Petrov was supposed to call the Kremlin. And he decided that it didn't quite make sense that the United States would only send four missiles. Mm. And so he declined to call the Kremlin, and it turned out it was something else. I, don't, I can't remember if it was birds or what it was, but it was nothing else. But 
He got fired from the army. He got cashiered. He got sent to Siberia because he didn't call the Kremlin, and he didn't call them because he knew they'd push the button, and he just didn't believe it. And years later, I think, he was brought to the United States and introduced at the General Assembly at the United Nations as the man who saved the world. Mm. And the funny part was that all he wanted to do was meet Kevin Costner. <laughs> um, because he had a VHS of the bodyguard with Whitney Houston, and that's who he wanted to meet, and, and he, he did get to meet her. But all humor aside, in 1983, the Soviet premier was Yuri Andropov, who was a very aged, partially bedridden premier. He was the last one of the old guard there. And Ronald Reagan, remember, came to power believing in a winnable nuclear war. And intelligence agencies frequently garble stuff up, but uh, Andropov, in his somewhat senile state of uncertainty, was absolutely convinced that Ronald Reagan was going to push the button. Um, So we were very, very close. I didn't know all that until much later. Sure. But it, but it, it wasn't better than when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, although, little day after story, there was a general on Castro's staff who, after, <laughs> who said that the Cuban Missile Crisis had not been real to him until he saw the movie, until he saw the day after. And that, by the way, is exactly what happened to Ronald Reagan. The day after the day after was on the air, all the reporters went around shoving microphones in front of everybody and saying, did this movie change your mind about nuclear war one way or the other? And everybody said, no, it didn't, and I'm for it, I'm against it, whatever. Um, and But it turned out that the movie changed one person's mind. And that person happened to be the president. Um, He says it in his memoir. Uh, Edmund Morris, who wrote Dutch, which who was his official biographer, was in the White House for three years and said the only time he ever saw Reagan flip out was when he had seen the movie. And 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 by the way, I Edmund Morris repeated this story to me because I was working on the screenplay for the rise of Theodore mm. Roosevelt for Martin Scorsese. So I got to know him. Um, and that's, so he, he repeated the story. Um, and Reagan wound up, because by this time Andropov had died and Gorbachev was the new Soviet premier. And he went to Iceland to Reykjavik, met with Gorbachev and signed the intermediate range missile treaty uh, which is the only treaty that ever resulted in the physical dismantling of nuclear weapons. Wow. Um, my little contribution to peace in our time. Of course, um, former President Trump has walked out of that treaty, uh, as he walks out of most treaties. Um, so we're back to square one. Um, and big companies like Northrop Grumman, make billions of dollars selling 
missile weapon systems that can never be used. And if they, you know, if they do, it's a, it's a total disaster. One way, you know, to ramp down a nuclear war, which we are perilously close to finding ourselves in, would be to get rid of the missile silos in the continental United States. Those are stationary targets on our backs, and everybody knows where they are. So why not leave it to the Polaris submarines, Mm. which are mobile, uh, and that would be like one step down to making us such a tempting target. That sounds uh, pretty logical to me, but uh, questions about nuclear geopolitical strategy are far above my pay grade. I'll leave that to you and the other people that are in the habit of uh, getting presidents to change their mind. Uh, On the much more mundane aspect of the production and the screening of this film the day after, obviously, I don't know that most people thought that this was going to have 100 million viewers at the time that it aired. When you were making this film, did you know that it was going to be as big of a hit as it was? And given the fact that it did achieve such a big audience, was it still difficult to get advertisers given the subject matter? Well, taking your questions one by one, I not only did I not believe it was going to be a hit, I didn't believe it was going to get on the air. Um, I just said, you know, We've got three networks, and the business of networks is to sell advertisers, advertising. And I don't think you're, you know, everybody's watching The Flying Nun or laughing or something. We're not going to be watching a network primetime movie about nuclear war. It's just I didn't think it was going to get on the air. When it was on the air, the night it was on, I was with my fiancé, and I said to her, you know, you think anybody's watching this? If be honest, if if you weren't my girlfriend, would you be watching it? Um, and then so I was completely flabbergasted when I learned the next morning that at least at least a hundred million people had watched it. It's probably several million more actually. Um, so I I hadn't I had not a clue. Um, uh, all I know is that the amount of controversy that got ginned up by people like William Buckley and Phyllis Schlafly and a lot of uh, conservatives and, and uh, people like that who were very convinced that this was detrimental to the security of the United States and were simply appalled when Reagan uh, went to Iceland and, and saw, signed that treaty, they were just horrified. Um, so yeah, I was completely unprepared for the movie having a, a big audience. And, and the only thing I did know was that we lost all our advertisers. ABC hated this movie and they hated it because they knew they were going to lose their advertisers, which they did. General food, general motors. General Mills, all the generals headed for the hill. (laughs) We were left with Orville Redenbacher popcorn before the bomb and nothing after because no one wanted any part of it. And uh, this movie got made because one man wanted it made. And that man 
was a man named Brandon Stoddard, who was the head of ABC Circle Films that made their uh, TV movies. And Stoddard, who had done a lot of after-school specials, had leapt into fantastic success with his miniseries Roots. And he was looking for a follow-up to Roots. And he went and saw a Jack Lemmon, Michael Douglas, Jane Fonda movie called The China Syndrome. And The China Syndrome dealt with a, nu- with a meltdown at a nuclear power plant. And he came out of that movie and just started to think, well, what, what it would be like if we could show a nuclear exchange, no, no, no politics, no, nothing like that, but just how, how ordinary people would be affected. Um, and obviously they would die. Um, and he, he got fought every step of the way. He had his life threatened. Somebody left a note on his car and said, this could have been a bomb. Much of this, by the way, is in that book, uh, Apocalypse Television, and also it's in the documentary, Television <laughs> Event, recounts all this stuff. I never knew any of that. I, you know, I was sort of convinced that Stoddard was my enemy. Huh. That's, how stu- that's how stupid I was. He was the best friend I had, and I didn't even know it. Obviously, maybe you can never analyze perfectly why something uh, checks all the boxes to become a hit, whereas something else that should check all those same boxes doesn't necessarily have the same magic formula to become a hit. But why do you think it was so watched? I mean, 100 million people, that's more people than watch a lot of Super Bowls. I mean, that's an incredible number of people. That's more than the population of most countries. Obviously, everybody has an interest in the prospect of nuclear war, but for uh, the reasons that you stated about your reluctance to get involved with this picture, a lot of times they don't like to think about it. What, we don't like to th- So what, 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 what made this uh, strike all the right chords to garner such an audience? Well, I don't, I, I don't think I'm qualified. I don't know who is qualified to answer the question entirely. I think I was hinting at my theory when I said all this controversy made it just something like a must-see event. Mm-hmm. People were running around saying, you know, don't watch it alone. Watch it with a church group. Watch it with your parents. Um, it, it, there was a lot of that sort of stuff. And um, I, I think, you know, when people say don't 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 look at it, don't read this book or something, then there's a it's almost like a sign that says wet paint. <laughs> we all want to touch that sign to see if the paint is really wet. <laughs> right. Uh, don't look in this room. <laughs> don't look in this room. Yeah. Um, and the, I think. And, you know, that the nuclear freeze movement got a hold of the movie for their purposes, Um, you know, more power to them from my point of view. But, you know, what I found in making the movie, because my initial thought was, oh, yeah, this 
this is going to be my sort of propaganda piece of armament. And what I realized is none of that was going to work. The only way this thing worked or could work is as a kind of glorified public service announcement. I didn't want great big stars. I didn't want flashy cinematography. I didn't want music. I, I wanted something where I couldn't be accused of goosing anybody's motives, uh, emotions, or their beliefs. I just said, did a lot of you know, research, and, and the writer, Ed Hume, who wrote the script, did a lot of research. And basically what we're saying is, if you have a nuclear war, this is what it might be like, P.S., on a good day, which is to say, you know, we didn't know about nuclear winter, or we would have put that in for sure, but we knew about the electromagnetic pulse, the EMP, so we put that in, um, and we didn't comment on it. We didn't comment on it. Um, we just said here, and it, it wasn't even the worst version that we could have shown because I knew that everybody has that remote clicker. Sure. They could just reach for the thing if it got to, you know, whatever. There's a British movie called Threads that's, you know, ten times worse. Um, and there was a one called uh, War Game, another BBC movie that was so upsetting that the BBC wouldn't put it on the air. So I, I couldn't go near that stuff. I had to find a, a kind of a middle ground um but it just it, it you know it struck a nerve and and that's you know i, I don't really know more mm -hmm. than how to say than that when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm just about out of time, and we've been talking with Nicholas Meyer, and uh, he's not only the director of The Day After, but uh, a terrific novelist and screenwriter in a, a variety of different fields. Let me just end with this. I just rewatched the film yesterday. I hadn't seen it in decades. I still think it holds up. In fact, I think given the geopolitical tensions, uh, not only with respect to Europe, but the Middle East and elsewhere, I think it actually holds up better now than it might have 10 or 15 years ago where people viewed the prospect of nuclear war as just something you read in the history books. Have you seen the movie lately, and how do you think it holds up today? Well, I'll just preface it by saying I, I don't think artists are the best judges of their own work. But having said that, I did see the movie within the years. I've seen it, and it freaked me out. I, I just thought, wow. Uh, you know, and I, and by this time, I'm not looking at it as a director anymore. And, you know, why didn't you get that shot? Why didn't you go closer? Whatever. I was just watching it. And it's appalling. It's, it's appalling. I just experienced it as an audience. And it's 
it's hard to take. It's hard to take. But if we don't look at this stuff, if we don't think about it, if we don't confront it, if we don't protest, if we don't say, get rid of those damn missile silos, let's just start there. Uh, I realize that Northrop Grumman will, you know, lose a fair amount of money. Let's get rid of that. Um, because there are there are accidents. We're in a shaky world, and there are a lot of human beings who have their fingers on a lot of buttons. Mm-hmm. And you don't want some nervous Nelly jumping the gun, because once this toothpaste is out of the tube, there's no getting it back. It's just going to be bang, 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 which is keeps me awake at night. It just does. I've I've got kids, and uh, I'm, you know, lucky to be alive, lucky to be healthy, enjoying myself. And I have a new novel coming out in August. I hope I'm here to see the what the novel does. By the way, it's called <laughs> called Sherlock Holmes and the Telegram from Hell. On that note, uh, I uh, very much appreciate the time. I always really learn so much whenever we whenever we chat. I hope we can do this again soon. Uh, definitely encouraging folks to, uh, if they want to pre-order the Sherlock Holmes and the Telegram from Hell, they can do that or uh, check out some of your previous books as well. Uh, Nicholas Meyer, it's always a treat to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I was so uh, pleased to be invited back. Well, well, trust me, uh, you're you're on my speed dial now, so you'll be invited back again. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all-natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.